turn back to Psalm 19, which we read earlier. Uh, Psalm 19, we'll work our way through this psalm together this evening. We're considering this evening from this psalm, the God who speaks, the God who speaks. C.S. Lewis was the author of the children's book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, which have sold over 100 million copies in 47 different languages. Lewis is widely regarded as one of the best writers of his generation and certainly one of the most successful. So he knows what he's talking about, a good writer, when he calls Psalm 19 the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Psalm 19 is an incredible psalm, a wonderful psalm. It helps to establish one of the most important doctrines One of the most important beliefs that we have about God, which is the fact that he speaks to us. And the psalm tells us about that in a wonderful way. God could have just given us a big encyclopedia to tell us everything we need to know about him and about ourselves and about sin and salvation. You could look up Jesus under J or sin under S, and you could get all the definitions and all the information and all the terminology that you needed. Instead of doing that, God has given us poems and stories. He has given us legal texts and personal letters. He's given us picture books and history books, all to tell us so much more vividly and powerfully who he is and what he is like. As I say, the big idea of Psalm 19 is that God speaks, that God has spoken and that he is still speaking. And at a time when self-focused individual spirituality is becoming more and more popular, at a time when more and more people in our culture are saying that they're spiritual but not religious, a time when people, as we considered briefly this morning, are essentially claiming any lifestyle they choose to be good enough in God's sight. Psalm 19 reminds us that God speaks clearly and directly to everyone. And he tells us what is right and what is wrong. And he tells us what our response should be to him. So I want to think first of all this evening from Psalm 19 about the witness of God's unspoken word. The witness of God's unspoken word. Verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The word for heavens in the Old Testament usually just means the sky. Sometimes it means the spiritual realm, uh, heaven, where, uh, where, where God and angels and the souls of believers dwell. But usually it just means the sky. And the psalmist says that. Uh, In the second line of the psalm, the sky above us, often in Hebrew, uh, one in Hebrew poetry, one line after another says the same sort of thing two different ways. So the heavens, the skies, declare the glory of God. They proclaim his handiwork, the psalmist says. That's a great word, handiwork, isn't it? And maybe some of you uh, can be proud sometimes of your handiwork. Sadly, there's very few occasions when I uh, have any reason to be proud of handiwork. But maybe some of you have uh, worked on things in your gardens. Maybe you've built little walls. Maybe you've redecorated a room. Uh, Maybe you're someone who is very gifted with your hands. And when you finish the task, you can stand back and you can enjoy your handiwork. Now, of course, God is spirit. He doesn't have physical hands. 
But the psalmist here is using that picture to emphasize to us that all of creation is God's handiwork. We read in Genesis 1 how God saw it all and it was all very good. And that's what the psalmist is telling us here. And just as you might admire the skill of a painter or an architect or an athlete, every time you look at the sky, we're to appreciate and consider that's God's. He did that. He made that. And of course, we can look at any part of creation and see God's handiwork. Last week I was out with uh, some family and we were uh, walking through some of the moorns and just uh, thankfully got some beautiful weather and enjoyed those amazing views of the mountains. That's God's handiwork. You can look at the waves hammering the shoreline. You can look at the tiny little bodies of insects. It's all God's handiwork. So why does David focus on the sky in this psalm? Well, possibly because every single human being, wherever we are, wherever we live, we can see the sky. There are beautiful parts of creation that some of us never get to see in the flesh. Remember when I was 19, I went off and and worked at a Christian camp in uh, Michigan in America for the summer. And I met some, some fellow Christians from places like Indiana and Kentucky and Missouri, uh, people who had never seen the ocean in their lives. And for somebody who had grown up 20 minutes away from the ocean, that was hard for me to get my head around, that you'd never been to the beach, you'd never been to the seaside. But some of us will never see the, the Amazon jungle, we'll never trek through some of the mountains of Asia, but every human being can see the sky. And David says that the sky is continually endlessly witnessing to everyone, everywhere, of the glory of God, that God has made it. Notice in verse 1 he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Verse 2 says, day to day, every day, they pour out speech. So David is emphasizing here, the skies are speaking. Every time a human being wakes up and looks outside, a silent message is delivered to our minds and hearts. Look at the work of your God. Now in verses 3 and uh, 4, maybe it's the particular translation we have, uh, but David almost sounds like he's contradicting himself at first. If you look at verse 3, he says, There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. In other words, he's saying the sky doesn't literally speak to us. But then he says in verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth. There are words to the ends of the world. So what does David mean here? He seems to be saying on the one hand, there's no voice. And he says on the other hand, their voice goes out through all the world. Well, what he's saying is that there is a clear message coming from the sky, from the whole creation. But it's not a message communicated in In speech as I am speaking to you now. It's a message communicated visually. Silently. It's not like the sun comes up in the morning. And says please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1. But it is saying something to us nonetheless. In the closest relationships that we have with one another. Our best friends. Our family members. Or our spouse. You don't always need words, do you? 
Sometimes a look is all you need to tell, tell the person exactly how you feel. A look that says, you forgot to do that again. Perhaps a look during a party that says, I'm ready to go here now. It's usually maybe the husband that has that look. A look that says, I can't believe they just said that. David says, creation is communicating with silent messages to us. Every second of every day, everywhere. Ralph Davis says, the heavens and skies are simply bursting to tell us of their maker. And keep pumping out their testimony about him. And so what this means, friends, is that there is a sense in which we do not have to prove to anybody the existence of God. If you're ever asked to do that, you should put the question back on the person who asked it. And say, prove to me that God doesn't exist. Because all the evidence is very clear. He does. Creation has to have a creator. A design has to have a designer. Scientific laws and rules that exist in our universe, uh, they, they can't just have come from chance, from nothing. Someone has set those laws in place. And so you, in, a, in, a, in one sense, you don't have to prove to anyone that God exists. Creation blares it out to everybody every day with this silent but clear message. And I love how David describes the joy of creation. He focuses on the sun in verses 4 to 6. And again, bear in mind, this is poetic language. It's picture language. David does not actually think that the sun hides away in a house. But he describes it as running its course like a mighty man. Rises up in the morning, he says, with all its power and strength. And runs its daily course from one end of the earth to the other. You might say that the sun gets up every day and goes on a fun run. That's the the beauty. There's a beauty and a joy and a purpose to the created world. That's what David is saying. And it speaks to us of an even more beautiful, joyful, purposeful God. So the, the, the witness of God's unspoken word, friends, the creation that God has made... But a silent message is not enough. Uh, The created world does communicate to human beings, but it doesn't communicate everything we need to know if we're going to have a relationship with God. So having thought about the testimony of God's unspoken word, let's think secondly about the power of God's spoken word. The power of God's spoken word. Um. In verse 7, David turns from having spoken about the created world to speaking about the scriptures, the message of God in scripture. And notice in verse 7 that David no longer refers to God. He now refers to the Lord. And it's in the capital block letters in our English translations, the Lord. The Hebrew name again, as I've mentioned before, when you see that name, it's the name Yahweh. And that's the name of God that was only known by the people of God, the Israelites. It was that covenantal name that he had with those with whom he had a special relationship. And it's significant that David begins to use that name as he now begins to talk about God's word. Everyone in the world gets the silent message that there is a God, some kind of being, 
some kind of creator. Only those who have his spoken message know to call him Yahweh, Lord. Only those who have his spoken message can have a relationship with him. And so that's the name that David uses in verse 7 onwards because he does know his God personally. He has a relationship with God via his spoken word. In verses 7 to 9, David gives six descriptions and six effects of God's word. Uh, We don't need to go into all of them in great detail. David again is sort of piling up the, the poetic language here to make his point. But just notice in passing that the six names or descriptions of God's word, the law of the Lord, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, and the rules. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's flawless. The testimony, he says, is sure. That means it's unchanging. As we considered this morning, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, Jude said. It's not up for debate. The precepts, he says, are right. The commandment is pure. The fear is clean. The rules are true. Piling up the descriptions, friends, of God's perfect word. And in the midst of all these descriptions, notice he keeps saying the law of who? The Lord. The testimony of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord and so on. In a world full of noise, with politicians fighting to be heard, silly celebrities saying and doing silly things, endless chatter on TV and social media, much of which is fairly pointless most of the time, there is one person whose voice is always worth hearing, whose words truly matter, and that is Yahweh, the Lord We might not be able to trust the testimony or the claims of those in leadership over us. Those who would go to war and make up reasons for doing so that are based in falsehood. But the testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And then you think about the six effects of God's word that the psalmist mentions here. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving means to cause someone or something to turn back. It can also mean to be refreshed. God's word refreshes us, doesn't it? It's like that cold drink of water that we were all needing a few days last week. Uh, Just the, the heat sapping us and leaving us thirsty. God's word refreshes our souls. Gives us the guidance we need uh, as to the road that we're to take. Testimony of the Lord is sure, he says, making wise the simple. God's word is full of wisdom. How am I I supposed to parent my children? How am I to love my wife? How am I to serve my saviour? God's word gives wisdom for all those situations and many more. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's word produces joy within us. And notice it's joy in the heart. This is deep-rooted satisfaction, assurance, contentment. This is not the superficial happiness that the world chases after, that comes and goes with the next favourite team's defeat, 
or the next holiday that comes to an end uh, or the next disappointment in the workplace. This is joy deep in our hearts. It's the joy of knowing sin forgiven. It's the joy of knowing personally the God who speaks this word. Verse 8 says God's word enlightens our eyes. Again, gives us guidance. Verse 9 says it endures forever and it is completely righteous. Nothing that God's word tells us to do needs to be debated or argued about. It should just be done because it's good and right. Our culture debates things endlessly. Things that should not be debated. Abortion. Assisted suicide. Even churches now beginning to debate, as I mentioned this morning, well, what is marriage? What is gender? Those things are only being debated because sinners want to disobey what God says about them. God who made us, who gives and sustains life, who is holy and wise and good, he has spoken about these things. And his words are righteous and they shouldn't be debated, they should be obeyed. said at the beginning that Psalm 19 in in beautiful poetic language actually gives us one of our most important doctrines uh, and that is the doctrine of God's revelation. Simply that God speaks. He has revealed himself to us. And the the created world that we thought about a few minutes ago, that's what we call God's general revelation. It has been given to all people on a general basis. David says in verse 6 that there's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. In other words, everyone everywhere knows that God exists. He made the world. But many people still need special revelation. Many people still need to get to know Yahweh, the God who made all things, who has spoken in the scriptures by his direct and personal and powerful word. Many people still need that word in their hands. Sometimes the question is asked, What about people who have never heard about Jesus, never had the Bible, never heard it read or preached? What's going to happen to them? Well, we don't exclude how God might speak outside of the normal realm. But God is clear in his word. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And so friends, as far as it depends upon us, we need to be getting the the perfect and true and righteous word of God. Into the hands or into the ears of those who have never received it before. And we should be funding and and going if we we have opportunity to bring that word uh, to other people. Some people would also say today, and this is more of an individualistic Western problem. Some Christians would say, I just wish God would, would really speak to me. You know, they have God's word and yet they say, I want God to speak to me. I wish he would speak to me personally. The way he spoke to Abraham or Noah or David. If he would just speak to me the way he spoke to them. Then I would know how I'm, what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to live. Well for one thing study the lives of those men a little more closely. And you'll see that it's not like God spoke to them directly and personally every single day. All the time. God willing will come and study the life of Abraham early next year and. We'll see that Abraham went years between messages from the Lord at times. And in between times he had no Bible to read. 
He just had to keep obeying what God had told him to do maybe years before. No matter how impatient or doubtful he felt. And so we needn't think that those men were in a better position than we were necessarily. But also friends, God does speak to us personally and directly if we humble ourselves to pay attention to his word. And that's what David is saying to us in this psalm. We need to be careful how we approach reading God's word because we turn on our our TVs or our phones, the programs or the apps that we have chosen, that we are interested in, uh, and, and it's all geared towards our tastes and our likes. God's word is not here to suit us. It's not just and it's not primarily about us. It's here to tell us about him. It's here to tell us about the almighty, the holy, the awesome, saving God. The last thing we need is a book all about me. A book all about you. We need a book all about our God. We are not the center of the universe. He is the maker and the sustainer and the creator of the universe. And our souls are designed to find our deepest joy and fulfillment in him. He speaks to you here. He promises to meet you here. His instructions and directions for your life are here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And so we have here, friends, the witness of God's unspoken word, power of God's spoken word. And then thirdly and finally, the right response to God's spoken word. The right response to God's spoken word. How do we respond to it? Well, David gives us uh, several, um, several correct responses in this psalm. First of all, he shows us in this psalm that we are to treasure God's word. We're to treasure it. If you can't feel the excitement of David for what he's writing about in this psalm, you're just not reading it properly. Even if we aren't as excited as he is, uh, we can still sense his excitement as he writes this psalm. Look what he says in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Remember, David was a king. He had all the gold he needed. (laughs) But he says God's word is far more precious and far more important. He says also it's sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. My possibly my favourite dessert in the world is a yellow man Sunday from Morelli's in Port Stewart, up on the north coast. And the yellow man Sunday, if you're not familiar with it, is a honeycomb ice cream based Sunday, just a big, big dollop of it with lots of other tasty things on top. Uh, the absolute best honeycomb ice cream in the world. And when you get one, you savour it, you enjoy every bit of it as much as you can, and hope that your little daughter doesn't ask you for too much of it for herself. And David says God's word is sweeter and better than the finest delicacies, the sweetest food. It is sweeter to your taste than even the best food you can imagine. We count it a great privilege, something to savour and enjoy every time we sit down and tuck into the word of God. Here's truth in a world of doubts. Here's facts in a world of lies. Here's food for our souls in a world that leaves us starving. Do you treasure God's word? 
Is your daily time in it guarded and valued? Are you coming here each week ready and eager, having prepared your heart, even if it's just a momentary prayer, before you get into the car to come to hear the word of God? Are you praying, I trust that you are, for your pastor to be able to study and clearly explain to you what God Almighty wants to say to us? Ralph Davis tells the story of William Tyndale, the great Bible translator of the Reformation, who was eventually put in prison in Belgium. And in a letter to the prison governor during a freezing winter, Tyndale wrote, I entreat your lordship that by the Lord Jesus you might be kind enough to send me a warmer cap, for I suffer extremely from cold in the head. A warmer coat also, for that which I have is very thin. But above all, I entreat and beseech your clemency that you may kindly permit me to have my Hebrew Bible. Can you imagine that? Freezing to death in a prison cell. What would you want? A warmer hat, a thicker coat, and above all, he says, my Bible, my Hebrew Bible. And we who have easy access every day to the word of God in our own language, friends, we should treasure it. It should be sweet to our taste. And then also we should confess sin because of it. We should confess sin because of it. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. David's saying you can't find any errors or imperfections in God's word. But you'll certainly find them in yourself. If you measure yourself against God's word. In verse 13 he specifically asks that God will stop him from falling into presumptuous sins Uh, that means sins that we might initially think to ourselves oh I would never do that not even tempted to do that or be like that or say that friends if we think that way it only goes to show that we don't grasp just how sinful our hearts could be Jesus taught us to pray daily deliver us from evil from the evil one We should be praying daily that we would not fall into the kinds of sins that could leave people saying, was he or she ever really saved at all? David displays a very humble attitude in this psalm. He delights in God's word because it shows him his sins. It's like holding up a mirror so that we can see the face that needs washed. This is one of the main reasons why we should be in God's word each day and each week. And again, people ask about, I want God to speak to me. We'll open up God's word and he will speak to you about yourself plenty. He'll speak to you about your anger. He'll speak to you about your impatience. He'll speak to you uh, about uh, the longings of your heart that perhaps need to be put in check. David says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. May that be the heart of all of us, friends, as we open up God's word each day. Confess sin because of it and then our final response to God's word is that we should see the redeemer in it we should see the redeemer in it to describe the the perfect word of God as David does in verses 7 to 9 is also in a sense to describe the perfect son of God what does John tell us in his gospel the word became flesh and dwelt among us The testimony of the Lord became flesh. The testimony of the Lord is Jesus. The precepts of the Lord became flesh. 
the precepts of the Lord were perfectly followed and obeyed by Jesus. In fact, everything that this psalm tells us about God's written word is also true of Jesus. Jesus is perfect, reviving the soul. Jesus is sure, making wise the simple. Jesus is right, rejoicing the heart. Jesus is pure and clean and true. God has not only given us that general revelation that we'll see the moment we go out of the building this evening. He's not only written down his rules and given them to us directly in the scripture. He's even gone so far to embody his word. Walk around this earth. Speak to us and call us to follow him. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 1 verse 1. Long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The Bible is very clear, friends, that creation itself came through Jesus. And so whether it's the unspoken word of creation, whether it's the direct spoken word of the scriptures, or whether it's the full and final revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus is all in all. God has spoken to us most clearly through him. Jesus is the last and greatest revelation of God. He's the one whose perfect obedience to the law of God covers over all of our sin. And if we call ourselves his followers, then we will seek to obey his precepts, Obey his commandments and make his truth our great delight. May it be true of us as it was true of Christ that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in the sight of the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.